Hi, and welcome back to The Voice of Veritas, where our technical experts empower you to take control of your enterprise data and applications. Exploring topics such as data governance, data quality, data integration, and data protection. If this is your first time listening, thanks for listening in today. I'm your host, Shiloh Thomas, and we've been on a really exciting transformation journey as of late, if you haven't heard. Recently, we introduced Veritas 360 Defense for Cyber Resilience, a framework to secure your critical data and applications. It combines Veritas's core capabilities with pre-integrated solutions from our cybersecurity partners so that you can harden your security posture, minimize the impact of ransomware attacks, and enable fast recovery for enhanced resilience. And on the topic of fast recovery and enhanced resilience, I am thrilled to introduce Rob Lindenbush, a distinguished engineer with years of experience in container security. So let's give him a warm welcome as he shares his insights on how proper planning and controls can enhance container security against potential threats. So without further delay, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation and learn from the expert himself. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Hi, Shiloh. It's it's awesome to be here. One thing that I thought I'd mention is that, you know, Veritas is not new to containers. We've been kind of been on the ground floor of the container revolution with our uh, Flex appliances, which allow you to deploy that backup in containers, that's been around for over four years. And we've been supporting data protection for Kubernetes for over two and a half years. So this is this is something that we're committed to, and we've been very involved in from, from kind of the beginning. And Rob, I think you're being a bit humble in terms of our Kubernetes support. We have very extensive and broad support for Kubernetes, especially on our data protection side. Yes, we do. And also, we we can help you virtualize your Kubernetes storage. So no matter where you deploy, you can use the same storage tools to manage those persistent volumes. You can deploy net backup within Kubernetes now. So yeah, there are a lot of options available. Absolutely. Now, in two short years, Gartner has predicted, Rob, that nearly 85% of organizations will be running containerized applications. And in fact, we recently conducted a survey that already showed nearly 50%, half of organizations are already deployed, have already deployed their applications in containers. And I believe it's because containers are essential to an organization's digital transformation strategy, especially as they consider migrating to the cloud. So how about, Rob, we start here. What are containers and what's driving development teams like DevOps to start using them, for instance, Kubernetes? So containers in a nutshell are a very lightweight form of virtualization where you don't even have to deploy an operating system. You just deploy the application. And to give you an idea of why this is so attractive and important, uh, you know, I've been around IT for quite a while. And what traditionally standing up an application meant was, if you go back a few years, I won't tell you how old I am, but um, <laughs> I'd have to buy servers, install them, put operating systems on them, get the network running, install applications. All of this was expensive and took a long time. It was it was a big deal to stand up even a simple application like a, a MySQL server or a web server. Then we went to virtualization, which made it easier to do, but the processes under the hood, all that did was really take away the rack and stack. I still had to do operating system installation. I still had to spin up all these things and get everything talking. So the ease of deployment 
is massive. And I'll give you another example of one of the other important features of Kubernetes is the elasticity it offers that I can scale up and scale down very easily. Back in the 1990s, I worked for a company that uh, we actually put the tax filing system for the state of Indiana online for the first time. And to handle that load that we were expecting, we actually had to lease a large Sun server just for that two-week period where everybody files their taxes. Oh, boy. That's how you had to deploy infrastructure. You had to buy enough hardware to meet your peak. And that can get very expensive. And it's really not efficient. And, and in today's environment, with green initiatives, it's really, really not efficient because I'm, I'm burning power all the time for stuff that isn't being used. So that ability to scale up and scale down, and I only pay for what I'm needing, really changes the game in how we deploy applications. And there are many, many applications that behave like that. The other real difference here is that the transition from physical servers to virtualization was an initiative from the infrastructure side of IT. It was the people who normally ran servers consolidating, taking over that virtualization platform, running that virtualization platform. Kubernetes and containers is an application development-driven initiative. And that really changes things because that expertise that the infrastructure team had, that they brought those years of knowledge and you know having been through it to virtualization, you know, application development, they haven't dealt with a lot of these issues, such as security, data protection. It was something somebody else handled all the time. So it's it's a place where the people driving these initiatives, in many cases, need to catch up. And uh, we're here to help. Now, you had mentioned not having to deal with certain things because it's no longer an infrastructure initiative. And certainly, I think there's a misconception out there that containers are more secure, but you know, honestly, anything is susceptible to an attack. And though containers are certainly a preferred development approach, not only is the data showing it, we we see it in our own customers who are leveraging containers. It's entirely possible to move right an infected application to a container or maybe misconfigure it or leave doors open as you're trying to navigate the multiple APIs that you might have configured within your own environment. And so, of course, there's the aspect of open source dependencies too. Earlier this year, I, I read another report. It was uh, published earlier this year from CrowdStrike, and they had reported 40% of containers are improperly secured. And so I'd like to to talk a little bit more about um, this perception that containers might be more secure. And it may, in fact, certainly based on what you said, go back to this being an app development initiative versus an infrastructure. But I'm curious, why, why don't containers get the proper attention when it comes to data protection? There are a few reasons. Uh, the first thing I always like to say is, Containers aren't magic, just like the cloud isn't magic. I still have to worry about data protection. It doesn't just happen. It's something I have to do purposefully. That safer view comes from the initial uses and deployments of containers and Kubernetes, where it was really targeted and developed for what we call ephemeral containers. Containers that spun up and spun down, didn't have persistent data. Mm -hmm. And so just restarting it, and I was back to square one. 
I had the exact same environment that I had when I shut down. But that's kind of changed. You know, I could put some stuff in and not have in, in my container environment and not have persistent data. But applications run on databases. And those databases, while initially may have been sitting outside of that Kubernetes environment, more and more they're sitting inside the Kubernetes environment. And there are many other uses for persistent data. So I have to protect that stuff. It's my database. Nobody's going to say, ah, nah, it's just a database. I don't have to back it up. You really need to do that. The other side of it is also when you look at what cyber attacks look like, and they're very, very sophisticated. You have to remember that the ransomware gangs out there that are making headlines, these these groups run as corporations. They have product managers. They have project managers. It's a whole economy. It, it It is a whole economy. There are groups that simply write the ransomware and supply it to others. They're vendors for ransomware. It's It's insane. But once I gain access to an administrative system, I can have very often full access to that Kubernetes environment. And I can do really bad things. I could replace a container with a container that I've compromised. And and are you going to notice that that's happened? Those known good containers, how, how closely am I monitoring them? So that compromise is possible. I can spin up a crypto mining pod inside a, inside your environment. Are you going to notice that? Yeah, no one ever the wiser. And, and the last part is, what do I do if everything's gone? The ransomware gangs are extremely efficient at giving you no choice other than to pay them. So... It's not just, oh, my SQL server may be down or my app web server may be down. It might be my Kubernetes cluster is gone. And that code repository that I use that generates my YAML, that does my infrastructure as code, that's gone too. What am I going to do? And that's what you have to prepare for. We talk about ransomware and cyber attacks quite often, and there's all sorts of stats out there. When it comes to Kubernetes, it's it's interesting. We've seen the stats. They are no different. When you bring it down to the container level, they too are experiencing security incidents. And in fact, in a recent report, 93% of Kubernetes users have experienced at least one security event in the past 12 months. And of those same users, astonishingly, they've confirmed that, that they have also lost revenue and customers due to an event specific to their containers or Kubernetes. So not unlike what you have described. And so I guess this brings us to the real issue that we need to contend with, Rob, which is how do we make containers more recoverable? You know, you start off with starting to treat them like the rest of your IT infrastructure. I've got to have backups. Backup and recovery is part of security today. I regularly have conversations with CISOs now about data protection. Those backups have to be outside of the environment I'm protecting because the environment I'm protecting may well be gone. I need to secure them against tampering. I need to implement zero trust wherever I can. Username and passwords aren't enough. Those get compromised in ransomware attacks. That's how the the attacks spread through the environment. They compromise accounts. And I've mentioned that before in some of our past episodes where it's no longer breaking in. It's just simply opening the front door these days. There was a very public attack earlier this year, and they got in through social engineering. They managed to call up the help desk and get the help desk to reset a password and then just logged in. 
Um, so these things do happen. So you need to implement things like multi-factor authentication. You need to have verification in both directions. Zero trust communications. Everything that backup does is with certificates. Zero trust processes. Verifying you're using trusted code. Zero trust privileges. Implement things like role-based access control so that you only have access to the things you actually need access to. All of these are things. And the last part that often gets overlooked, but is actually the most critical, is testing. Test, test, and test again. When major changes happen, test again. Make sure you can recover. You don't want to learn the gotchas about recovery when the bad event happens. You want to be comfortable with how you do things. So it's more business as usual. You know, a plan is a, is only as good as your testing strategy. And so I do invite exactly. our, yeah. So I do invite our listeners to cycle back through our list of podcasts. We had one on this very point of testing and making testing a vital part of your overarching plan. So, so make sure you listen back to that. And you can find that podcast under the title Plan for the Unexpected, Why an Incident Response Plan is Key for Organizational Resiliency. And um, there are some good pointers as well as some resources to ensure that you're properly testing your plan. And the testing of the plan needs to happen in advance, not after the fact, so that you know what where those gaps are and what you really need to continue to improve. Now, one of the other items that I noticed, Rob, you didn't mention, it's it's about standing up in an isolated recovery environment, what role can or or should that play? And of course, there's the immutability factor, right? That these environments, like an isolated recovery environment and, and, and applications and, and products like what we offer can um, play a role in as well, right? Exactly. And that's how I'm going to go about implementing that backups have to be outside of the environment you're protecting. What we call an isolated recovery environment is a secure data bunker. Our technology allows you to have a place to store your backups where the inbound firewall rules are deny any any. I can't connect to it from the outside. All of the communication originates from inside that recovery environment and, and we pull the data in. In the cloud, put it in a different tenant or even a different cloud provider, isolate it. Very often in these attacks, you know, cloud provider tenants will be compromised. So you, you want to really isolate as much as you can. If I do a physical recovery environment, I want to have different credentials in there. Don't let the same credentials work because the credentials are going to be compromised. We have other technologies. We have Alta Recovery Vault, which is a secure worm storage in the cloud for storing your data, or we have on-premises worm storage with our Flex Appliance and Flex Scale appliances. Both of these have the advantages of the data I store is self-describing, and the data I store is immutable and indelible. I can't change it. I can't delete it. And if everything in my environment is gone, and the only thing I have left is that worm storage pool or that worm uh, recovery vault, I can recover. I can rebuild everything from that and I can restore wherever I want. So it gives you that flexibility and and that it's a, it's that safety. And you know, we've done a lot of other things with net backup in our appliances to harden them, to make them secure. And 
there is an advantage to having that security built for you. Ours has been tested. Our appliances are in a lot of environments that have been hit by ransomware. And they haven't been compromised other than through people getting credentials and just logging into them. So if you really secure those credentials, use multi-factor authentication, you can have confidence that not if the worst thing happens, but when it happens, because it will happen, you're going to be able to recover and recover quickly, and you're going to know what to do. I just want to throw a plug out there. We do have some new capabilities coming out related to multi-person authentication as well. And so I, I think that that is a, a part of the strategy too when, you, when you're talking about multi-factor authentication. Rob, gosh, we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground here today. Um, but as we mentioned at the start, we can't exclude containers from our data protection approach or strategy. And when you meet with customers, what strategies do you advise or recommend to improve container resiliency? I imagine that one part of it is making sure that the containers, they themselves, you know, at the upfront are protected. And then as you move them into an isolated recovery environment, that gives them another layer of protection. What else do our do our customers need to consider with as they look to improve the protection of their containers and overall resiliency? Immutability is key. There's a lot of solutions that can, can that we have that can help provide that. And not just immutability, but you got to get the data outside of the protected environment. Uh, I can't stress that enough. We see environments that are completely destroyed. The network switches are gone. You can't communicate with anything. So we, we need to have a protected place where we can be getting that data back. Testing, I, I can't stress it enough. We also supply some automation tools that can help you automate recoveries with resiliency platform. You've got to remember that when one of these attacks happens, there's three things going on in your minds. First off, you're probably pretty emotional because you know your stuff just got taken out. The second part is you are probably going to be stressed out. And that's because you're getting phone calls from the higher ups. Are we back yet? Are we back yet? Are we back yet? Uh, the third thing is you're going to be working long hours. It's not a nine to five operation recovering from a ransomware attack. So you're going to be tired. Emotions, stress, fatigue are three things that contribute to people not performing well. That's just human nature. So I want to have practiced. I don't want to have to figure things out. I want to automate where I can. That will make your lives so much easier. And, and the last thing is really pay attention to that credential management. Mm -hmm. multi-factor authentication, isolated environments that use different credentials, hardened environments with appliances. All of these are things that can move you closer to, you know, we're not going to stop the bad guys ever. They're always going to be ahead. We've just got to be sure we're prepared. Absolutely. You know, as I consider kind of the, the process of standing up containers, we have applications that kind of come first. And I, I think about, and I, I guess, you know, going back to the emotional element, one of the things I'd be most concerned by is that as I move an application to the container, is it already infected? I mean, cyber criminals, they're so sophisticated. You mentioned that earlier. And who's to say that malware isn't already installed, like the crypto mining software that, that you had mentioned. So I just want to remind folks that security, yes, needs to be prioritized. Data protection as a strategy needs to be prioritized, but it also needs to be an early thought. You can't wait 
until after. You can't wait until after you've moved an application and container. It really needs to be a holistic enterprise approach that certainly folks like Rob can help you with. To that end, we're we're coming to the end of our show here today. Thanks for tuning in. Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on. We really appreciate the valuable insights you shared on container security. It's been awesome to be here. And as you know, I love having these conversations. We hope to have you back. And for those who are listening in, if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider liking and subscribing. Stay up to date with our latest content. And next up, we'll be exploring the role of AI in governance. And I hope to see you on the next Voice of Veritas. Mm -hmm.